That song was from the gospel, excuse me, the song of Mark, a musical that we will be performing in April, and you will be learning more about it in the near future. It's off to a, it sounds like it's going to be excellent if that uh, song is any indication. What matters most about Jesus? His birth? His death? His resurrection? His diet and exercise plan? That was part of the email blast I sent to you a few days ago, and I was so pleased with it, I just repeated it. I know you've been meditating on it day and night ever since receiving it. What matters most about Jesus? Given the season just ended, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, you might think that his birth is what matters most. Or you might reflect on the whole Christian year, the whole Christian calendar, And think of our two biggest celebrations as Christians, Christmas and what? Easter, right? And think that what matters most about Jesus is both his birth and his resurrection. What do the Gospels say matters most about Jesus? Well, it depends which Gospel you consult. It depends who you ask. If you turn to the Gospel of Luke, you will find both birth and post-resurrection narratives, both uh, nativity stories and post-resurrection stories. For Luke, both the birth and the resurrection of Jesus are clearly very important. The Gospel of Matthew has a slightly different emphasis, less emphasis on the birth and resurrection of Jesus, although they're both in there, and more emphasis on the ethical instruction of Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, that's where we find the Sermon on the Mount. And then if you turn to the Gospel of John, you'll find something quite a bit different from those other two Gospels. You'll find a much greater emphasis on the divinity of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Also in John, we find the I am sayings, these uh, repeated sayings that begin with Jesus saying, I am, which echoes the divine name found in the Old Testament. So an emphasis on the divinity of Jesus in the Gospel of John. What about that other gospel? What about the earliest gospel? What about the most concise gospel? What about the gospel of Mark? What does Mark say matters most about Jesus? As a new year begins, we are beginning a new sermon series, a trek through the gospel Of Mark. And our first leg of this journey is Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, which is found on pages 34 and 35 of the New Testament in the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to read along. Again, that's pages 34 and 35. 
as we prepare to embark on this journey, let us pray. Spirit of the living God, give us ears to hear, hearts to believe, and minds to understand your life-giving word. Amen. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Greek word that is translated good news here, it can also be translated gospel, is euangelio, from the word euangelion. It's the word from which we derive our word evangelism. Evangelio, evangelism. How many of you are fond of the word evangelism? Raise your hand if you're fond of the word evangelism. About a half dozen of you. We are so Presbyterian. <laughs> the word evangelism being derived from this word euangelio, which simply means good news, uh, it simply means sharing the good news of and about Jesus Christ. Ideally, both in word and and indeed, if we share this good news uh, only in word, then we are hypocritical. If we share this good news only in deed, then we leave our neighbors without explanation for why we do as we do. So that's all evangelism means. It's derived from this wonderful word, euangelio, good news or gospel. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. Who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, making his paths straight. The word rendered messenger uh, here is angelon. Angelon. You can hear this word in the earlier word, euangelio. From angelon, we derive our word angel. An angel is a messenger. A prophet is also a messenger. So if euangelio means good news, then an angelon is a good newser. See, I am sending my good newser ahead of you. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John the baptizer is an old school prophet. He's an old school good newser. Like the prophets we read in the Old Testament, like the prophets uh, before him, his message can be summarized with a single word. Repent. The Greek term for repent is metanoia. Meta, think metamorphosis, change. Noia, think uh, knowledge, mind. So it means change your mind. Repent equals change your mind. Repent. Change your mind about the direction you're headed. Repent. Change your mind about the life you're living. 
one of the prophets in my life, uh, recently handed me a printout. And this printout had all of my spending over the past few months. And then this prophet said to me, in effect, repent! (laughs) Yes, you guessed it, this prophet is my wife. It seems that I have been spending far too much money on non-essential things in recent months. In fact, it seems that I have been single-handedly keeping a local coffee shop in business. Which could be called ministry, right? Blessing a local business? She's not buying it. Understandably, my wife wants me to change my mind about my recent spending. And it's also understandable that we do not like the call to repent. After all, it's a call to change. And we tend not to like change. At first blush, the message of repentance may not seem like good news. But it is good news. It's good news because it means we are getting a second chance. Only people willing to give us a second chance will call us to repent. When God calls us to repentance... God is giving us a second chance. And I don't know about you, but I need second chances again and again. Picking up at verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. What's missing? There's no birth story. Mark starts the story of Jesus with an adult Jesus. He skips the birth altogether. So whatever matters most to Mark about Jesus, it's not his birth. Interesting. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove. On him. And the voice came from heaven You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This part of the story may seem all well and good to us, but it raises a theological conundrum due to the traditional belief, the traditional Christian belief, that Jesus was sinless. Here's how scripture puts this belief, uh, specifically Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews describes Jesus as our high priest. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize 
with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. The traditional Christian belief is that Jesus was without sin. So here's the conundrum. If John's baptism is one of repentance, then why does the sinless Jesus receive it? Why does a sinless person receive a baptism of repentance? Well, there are at least two reasons. First, Jesus wants to show solidarity with sinners. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan alongside sinners, alongside many others who go out into the wilderness to John. And throughout the rest of Mark's gospel, we will see Jesus hanging out with sinners. Jesus shows solidarity with sinners. He is with them, and he is for them. That's the first reason he receives a baptism of repentance. The second is simply to initiate his ministry. Ministry simply means service. It's to initiate his servant life. Baptism, whatever else it is, is an initiation rite. And in the case of Jesus, it initiates this three-year ministry that begins here and continues through his death. So this brings us back to the question, what matters most about Jesus? For Mark, it is the ministry, it is the servant life of Jesus from his baptism through his death that matters most. That's the focus of his version of the Jesus story. The last two verses of today's text foreshadow and summarize what he will do in this ministry. And the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. Immediately is the Greek word euthus. I'm not going to talk about it much today. I'll save that for next Sunday when it appears uh, even more uh, in the text. But just so you know, this little word immediately, this little adverb, is one of the most important words in the Gospel of Mark. It's one of his favorite words. He repeats it again and again, and it conveys a sense of urgency. This story, this message, this news is urgent news, according to Mark. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, literally the adversary, and he was with the wild beasts. And the angels, angelon, same word we heard translated messenger earlier, so both prophets and angels serve the same purpose. They are messengers. The angels waited on him. And the Greek word waited is diakonun, which sounds like what? Deacons. Later today, we will uh, be ordaining and or installing some new deacons. How many of you will be ordained and or installed as a new deacon later today? There you are. So if you have your hand raised, the reason you have been called to be a deacon is because you are angelic. <laughs> Most of the time. 
in this last verse, the verse I just read, this single verse, we find a summary of the whole of the ministry of Jesus. In his ministry, he first conquers evil. Whether we think of Satan as a person or as a personification of evil, the point of this part of the story is the same. Jesus overcomes evil. Jesus is victorious over evil. One of the ways he overcomes evil is simply by resisting the temptation to resort to evil. Matthew and Luke expand on this part of the story, the temptation in the wilderness, uh, and they share that he was tempted uh, to do things like acquire earthly power and riches. Simply by resisting the temptation to accept these things, simply by, the, by resisting consistently throughout his life the temptation to do evil, Jesus conquered evil. His is a strategy of non-cooperation. How many of you have seen the new movie, The Hobbit? Some of you have seen this movie. In the movie, The Hobbit, the wizard Gandalf at one point offers this unconventional wisdom to the unlikely hero, Bilbo. Bilbo is the little hobbit. Gandalf says to Bilbo, True courage is about knowing not when to take a life, but when to spare one. True courage is about knowing not when to take a life, but when to spare one. That's Gandalf. The scene in which he says that to Bilbo foreshadows a later scene in which Bilbo has an opportunity to kill this disgusting creature called Gollum. And Gollum is not friendly toward Bilbo. Gollum wants to eat Bilbo. (laughs) Nevertheless, Bilbo resists the temptation to kill Gollum, overcoming evil by not becoming like that which he despises. One of the ways Jesus conquers evil, one of the ways he overcomes the darkness, is simply by resisting the temptation to do evil. It's a straightforward strategy of non-cooperation. The result of Christ's victory over evil is peace. And this is the second uh, theme that we'll find throughout Mark harmony between creator and creature, and between creature and creature. This promise is in the blink-and-you'll-miss-it comment. Jesus was with the wild beasts. Did you hear that little detail? Several years ago, when I was serving a church in Oklahoma, we had a guest preacher from Malawi, Africa, and he was preaching on this text He started his sermon by informing us that he had 10 points. Now, that was a little much even for Southern hospitality, and there was an audible groan. I only remember one of his 10 points, and it's this. One of his points was that for Jesus to have survived in the wilderness for 40 days with the wild beasts, he would have had to have made peace with them. It was a point that hadn't occurred to me, but he was not blind to it. He saw it, 
because he lived in a context where the wild beasts can eat you. Jesus conquers evil, and Jesus makes peace. Harmony between creator and creature, and between creature and creature. A life that refuses to cooperate with evil, and that seeks the things that make for peace. When we live this way, we follow Jesus, and we exhibit, we make visible the kingdom described by the prophet Isaiah, the kingdom in which the wolf shall live with the lamb. May God make it so. Amen.